Now, this morning, I want you to take your Bibles, please, and we want to continue this series we began last Sunday on relationships that matter. Uh, Today, we want to look at a very profound principle, and that is the principle of accepting one another. Now, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15, and we want to pick it up here at verse 1, and we will read through verse 7. Will you please stand in honor of the word of God? We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let's repeat that verse together, can we? Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That is a principle that will change our lives as the people of God. Father, We do love you. We thank you for the privilege of studying your word. Open our hearts and our minds to your truth. We will praise you forever in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Within the heart of every single one of us is an innate desire to be accepted. We want to have those around us accept us to welcome us, to feel a sense of kinship and um, acceptance. Something that all of us, I'm sure, if we're honest with ourselves, is something that all of us need. Max Lucado, uh, some time ago, related a, an interesting story uh, about he and his, he and his, 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 his wife. Uh, for some reason, his wife went out and, and bought a monkey and brought it into their home. He brought it into their home, and Max wasn't really excited about this at all. And uh, he said to his wife, well, well, where's he gonna eat? Well, at our table. Where's he gonna sleep? In our bed. Well, what about the odor? Well, she said, I got used to you. I guess the monkey can too. You know, accepting one another isn't demanding that others change, but recognizing that we ourselves are not perfect, and we have a long ways to go and to grow. But being accepted is very important. I remember as a a kid, just a little kid, in elementary school wanting to be accepted. I wanted to, uh, I didn't want to stand out from the crowd. I just wanted to be fun with the rest of the kids. 
High school came along and there was that same need to, to feel accepted, to be wanted. Didn't want to be treated any differently because I was a preacher's kid. And then it came to college. And again, you have a desire to be, to be accepted, to, to be able to hold your ground and to make a contribution to others around you. And I found out that even as a pastor, it's important to feel accepted. That's one of the wonderful things that Sandy and I have felt ever since we came here. You love us and you've accepted us, flaws and all. It's important for all of us to have that sense of, of camaraderie, of, of being accepted. Nobody wants to be a round peg in a square hole. None of us enjoy being on the outside looking in. We want to be on the inside looking out. And the Word of God makes it very clear that when we come into a personal relationship to Jesus Christ, that God himself accepts us. He welcomes us with open arms. He doesn't remain distant from us. As Christ followers, God accepts us. That is a marvelous truth that we need to hang on to today. Paul speaks about this very specifically over in Ephesians chapter 1. Keep your finger there in uh, Romans 15, but flip over to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Paul writes, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestinated us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one whom he loves. Now I want you to focus on that phrase which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The King James translates it a little bit differently. It translates it this way, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Uh, that word given, freely given us, is a word which means he has pursued us with grace. He has encompassed us with favor. And as new creations in Jesus Christ, uh, we have experienced the acceptance of God at one time we were nobodies, but now we're somebody because God has accepted us because of our personal faith in Christ. Not only does he accept us, but he also equips us as Christ followers with at least two new capacities. Number one, the first capacity is that we're able to accept ourselves. Indeed, the deeper we are in love with Jesus, the greater will be our ability to accept ourselves weaknesses as well as strengths. Let me put it in perspective here this morning. If God accepts us with all of our problems, peculiarities, idiosyncrasies, and he does, then we can accept what God accepts. We're able to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In fact, Jesus speaks about this over in Matthew uh, chapter 22, beginning in verse 37, where he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor, notice, as yourself. To love ourselves does not mean that we worship ourselves or succumb to the myth that we are a law unto ourselves and can do anything that we please. That's totally moronic. Uh, Paul Vitz, in a perceptive book, Psychology as Religion, The Cult of Self-Worship, cites the following as illustrative of selfish jargon, which is not consistent with our Lord's teaching here in Matthew. He describes self-love this way. I love me. I'm not conceited. I'm just a good friend to myself. I like to do whatever makes me feel good. Unquote. Now, that's not accepting ourselves. That is self-worship. And self-worship in the eyes of God is idolatry. And there are many individuals today that are so hung up on themselves, everything has to revolve around them, and it becomes idolatrous because their focus is not on others, it is on themselves. And obviously, the Scripture teaches that we are not to get hung up on ourselves. To the contrary, the Bible says we're to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. But this passage makes it clear that if we haven't accepted ourselves, we haven't accepted that which God has accepted. And we fail to understand this wonderful truth that God has accepted us. And so many people go around in life feeling down on themselves, feeling that no one has accepted them, when in reality, if they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the God of the universe has accepted them, and they need to be thankful and accept others all around them. And that leads us to the second truth. We not only are able to uh, accept ourselves, but number two, we're able to accept others. When our love for Christ is growing, we will have the capacity to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And Paul picks up on this theme here in the book of Romans. If you look over at chapter 14 and verse 1, notice what Paul says. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. And then in John 15 and verse 7, the verse that we said together, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You see, the more we grow in our walk with the Lord, the better we prepared we are, not only to accept ourselves, our weaknesses, as well as our strengths, but we will display this, this love in action by loving and accepting others. Jerry Cook, in his book, Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness, expresses it so well. Quote, he said, we're going to love and accept people, and if you don't want to love and accept people, you're in the wrong place because this church is going to love people. Here at East Bay Calvary, we desire to love others. We want this to be a people place where people matter, where people accept one another, and where people love one another. And I want you to come with me, and let's study this a little bit more in detail in terms of this relational connection of accepting one another. Now, what does this all mean? Number one, it means we no longer pass judgments on others. 
we no longer pass judgments on others. And you see this in these two chapters, Romans 14 and Romans 15. Now, to give you a little bit of the context here, uh, there were weak believers in the church, and there were strong believers in the church. And the strong believers are judging and criticizing the weak ones. And they're arguing over their diets in special days. Uh, some are carnivores. They only eat meat. Others are vegetarians. They only eat vegetables. And Paul encourages both these two groups, these various factions, to put this foolishness behind them. And instead of judging and passing uh, criticisms on one another, he encourages them to accept each other. He specifically says that the spiritually strong are not to pass judgment on the spiritually weak. You see this in chapter 14 and verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Well, what does that mean? It means that different people are going to have different opinions. It's okay to have differences of opinion. So fine, I like to have people around me that view things from a little bit different point of view. And so he says, if a person has a difference of an opinion, don't stand there and judge him. Just understand that all of us, when it comes to things that we have different perspectives on, it's okay to disagree. Stop passing judgment on each other. The story is told of a, a lady who greeted her pastor at the door following the message he preached on spiritual gifts with these words and she said well pastor she said you know something uh, I have the gift of criticism <clears throat> and uh, the pastor looked at her and uh, said well do you know about the the uh, the story about the person who was given talents and he was only given one talent what did what did he do with that one talent well she said he went out and buried it pastor said I suggest you do the same thing You know, we, we are so quick to judge each other. It's very interesting, is it not? And, and it's, it's usually over things where there's legitimate differences of opinion. It's, it's amazing to me how so many of us in the church get all hung up that we have to do, one, do things a certain way and we don't allow for, for differences and, and we get hung up on that. A critical judgmental spirit toward others needs to be buried for several reasons here in Romans 14. Notice the first reason it's to be buried. God accepts us. Notice verse 3. The man who eats only, or the one who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. Notice, what does it say? For God has accepted them. God accepts whether we're weak, whether we are strong, whether we have one opinion or a different opinion. The fact of the matter is that God has accepted both the weak and the strong into his family. You see, we don't decide the requirements for fellowship in the family of God. That's God's responsibility. And we need to understand that when there are differences, that's okay. Let's not get hung up on those differences. Let's not pass judgment on one another. Let's rather accept and welcome 
individuals regardless if they're strong or if they're weak in the faith. Second reason we're to bury a judgmental spirit is God is the judge of true character. Notice verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Have you ever noticed that people who are critical of others usually have a blind spot themselves? It's kind of like the, the fellow who said, well, you know, I, I can speak just as good as my wife. I can speak just as well as her. In fact, I can speak weller. <laughs> you know, we, we tend to criticize. It's very interesting. When you stop and think about the people, oftentimes that we criticize are people, we see ourselves in them. Very, very interesting. But God's the judge. We're not the judge. God didn't set us up to be passing judgment on each other. That's, 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 a, that's a futile cause. And number three, another reason we need to bury it is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you see this beginning at verse 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so. Notice, to the Lord. Underline it in chartreuse. To the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so. Notice, to the Lord. And gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone. And none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. You see, the weak belong to the Lord. The strong belong to the Lord. It's futile to pass judgment on one another because we see things differently because all of us, if we've received Christ into our heart, we all what? We belong to the Lord. The Lord. If we could just get this through our head, most of the problems that happen in the body of Christ would go away. God accepts us. We're not to judge others. God is the final judge. And God is the one that must be enthroned as Lord and Master. And when we refuse to make Christ the Lord of our lives, it's very easy to slip into the judgment seat. We can find everything wrong. I mean the things that people complain about. Uh, when I entered the ministry, uh, Dad took, gave me some, some insight. He said, John, he said, you're probably going to receive a lot of anonymous notes. And he said, I suggest that when you get an anonymous note, you just... Get it away. Throw it away. If the person doesn't sign their name, no sense of trying to figure out who it was. And so I've practiced that over the last 50-some years. But now, in retrospect, I'm getting to the point where I think maybe I should have hung on to them. They would have made a 
great bathroom reader. The things that we fuss about, the things that distract us, the things that keep us from following wholeheartedly after the Lord, they are things that don't do anything to build the kingdom. But rather it's like a, like a chop, 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 chop at the kingdom all the time. And we forget that we belong to him. Never forget that everyone who names the name of Jesus belongs to Jesus. And then another reason we're not to pass judgment is that Jesus is the judge. Look at this. Verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. For it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Jesus is the judge. And the judgment seat of Christ is described by the Apostle Paul over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Notice, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that is, each one may receive what is due him for the things while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is not to determine if we are saved or lost, As transformed individuals, we've been delivered from the wrath of God. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the judgment seat of Christ is for the believer's works and service. Its purpose is not to pass judgment on our sins. Our sins have been covered with the blood of Jesus. But rather, it's to reward us for our faithfulness in service and our loving devotion to God. And since every single one of us as Christ followers will appear before the judgment seat of God, we should restrain from passing judgment on others. Notice verse 13. Therefore, of Romans 14, there it is again. See, the therefore is following up on what he said about everybody giving an account. Therefore... Since we all must give an account to God, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in a brother's way. Secondly, he says in this passage that the spiritually strong are to support those who are spiritually weak. And here in Romans 15 and verse 1, He puts it this way. He says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and, notice, not to please ourselves. When we are pleasing ourselves, that oftentimes gets in the way of us accepting others. Now, to bear with means that we continue to lift up 
or we continue to endure alongside with those who are not strong spiritually. Now, a person that's criticizing and judging others is weak in the faith. And they need strong Christians to come around them to help them to know that that kind of a lifestyle is futile. Why are the strong to bear the failings of the weak? He gives us several reasons. It's right here. Verse 1, first of all, we're to bear the failings of the weak to overcome selfishness. It says here that we are not to please ourselves. Self-centered living is the greatest problem that we as God's people have to deal with. People with no faith are selfish. People whose faith is weak struggle with selfishness. Even those strong in the faith wrestle with selfishness. We're not born into the family of God to please ourselves, but rather to please those around us. Notice verse 2 of Romans 15. Each of us should not please Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Can you imagine the transformation that would happen in the evangelical world if all God's people looked for ways to affirm and build each other up rather than be critical and pass judgment on one another? Notice verse 3, for even Christ, here it is, Here's our model. Even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Over in the book of First or Second Peter, I can't remember the exact reference, but when Jesus was insulted, he did not insult back. When he was maligned, he did not malign back. He did not treat others the way they treated him. And friends, selfishness, if we don't deal with selfishness, selfishness will destroy and eat away at our faith and will keep us from being all that God wants us to be. Another reason the stronger to bear with the weaknesses of those who are weak Verse 4, to build hope. First of all, to overcome selfishness. Secondly, to build hope. Notice, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have, there it is, hope. And friends, it's as we keep our eyes on Jesus and as we endure and as we encourage one another it builds a sense of tremendous hope let me tell you our world desperately needs hope (laughs) and that hope comes when we as God's people are there for one another and we are not known to be at odds with one another we are known to love each other and to lift up each other and to encourage one another so that all of us can endure until one day we receive that wonderful word from God, well done, thou good and faithful servant. First of all, to overcome selfishness. Secondly, to build hope. Thirdly, 
to foster unity. Look at verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. These next words are very important. Look at the text. As you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The strong are to support the weak so that unity in the body can prevail. And where there is a mutual acceptance of each other and we love each other, regardless whether we're weak or strong, then the church experiences unity and joy. But what happened, for example, at the book in the city of Corinth, the church of Corinth, when Paul was there, he identified all kinds of factions in that church. One of the factions said, well, I'm of Paul. Another one said, no, I follow Apollos. And someone else said, I follow Peter. And then some of the super spiritual ones said, well, I follow Christ. They're all following different individuals. You can't build a dynamic church when there are factions in the body. It's exactly what it is. We've got to get our eyes off people. Get your eyes off Paul, off Apollos, off of Peter. Our eyes must be upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And when there is that kind of acceptance of each other, there will be unity because where God is honor, honored, unity reigns. And you see this very specifically in verse 6 of chapter 15 when he says so that with one heart and one mouth one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ first of all we are there to lift up the weak to overcome selfishness to build hope to foster unity next to praise God notice except verse 7 of chapter 15 Accept one another then as Christ has accepted you in order to what? Bring. Oh, that was weak. Bring. Praise. praise. There it is right in front of us. Bring praise to God. If we want to bless the heart of God, if we want the courts of heaven to be filled with joy, the strong will accept the weak and the weak will accept the strong and when such a climate of acceptance prevails, God is praised. The attention is taken off us, and all the attention, all the glory goes to God for what he has done within the hearts and lives of his people. And when we rejoice in the reality that God has accepted us, and we have accepted ourselves and others non-judgmentally, we'll begin to see God do things that are beyond anything we could ever imagine. Our church will resound with praises to God. Can you imagine? Just for a minute. Can you imagine what Calvary East Bay can ultimately become when we learn to accept each other unconditionally? We accept each other as Christ has accepted us. Christ is our model. And when he is our model and we are practicing that kind of spiritual unity, 
let me tell you, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. The church will grow. It will touch the community. People will not be talking about differences of opinion. They'll be saying, hey, there is a church that has fallen deeply in love with Jesus. Now, I want us to look at one other passage here this morning. We no longer pass judgment on others when we accept each other. But number two, we no longer play favorites with, ushers, with others. And I want you to turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 2, and we're going to just take a quick look at this. could spend another quite a bit of time on this, but we no longer play favorites with others. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. He gives us a very strong command. He says, my brothers, now notice the key phrase there, as believers. He's not talking here about the world. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the body of Christ. He says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and here's the strong command, don't show favoritism. Let that sink in for a minute. We don't play favorites in the church. And why don't we? Because we have placed our personal faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the sin of playing favorites and showing partiality to some in the body and not to others is one of Satan's most subtle sins. And it sometimes shows up in what we're whispering about. Oh. Do you see how that person... Hmm. Very interesting how this works. Something goes wrong in a person's life, and oh my. The things that we say behind their backs... We must not show favoritism. Do you realize the ground is level at the foot of the cross? And we are all sinners saved by what? Grace. We need to be graceful in our relationships. Now, a look back at the New Testament church believes that the early church, as it had witnessed the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they had all things in common. None of them had too much, and none of them had too little. And to maximize this conviction, James uses a compelling illustration, beginning in verse 2. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Not to contrast what he says about the rich man, James also speaks about the poor man. 
And he does so in a striking commentary. He says, verse 5, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are not they the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? He minces no words. He is simply saying that when we show favoritism to others and we look down on others, we are not pleasing God. In fact, he says oftentimes it's the poor who have a stronger faith than even those who have much. And he's saying it's oftentimes those who have much that make it difficult on those who are a little bit poor. But both the rich and the poor, what do they have in common? They have been recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must never, ever forget this. Doesn't matter what our station in life is. We are all sinners saved by grace. And we need to express acceptance and love no matter what that person's station in life may be. And when that begins to take place, Christian cliques break up. We stop showing favors to certain individuals so that we can advance ourselves. We forget about the position another person has in the world before reaching out to them. There's no longer jockeying for place or position. There's no more one-upsmanship being practiced. We no longer label others as worthy or unworthy of being accepted. We accept all because all of us are unworthy apart from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a pastor, you know, I, God is my witness. I have tried to treat every person that enters the doors of the church exactly the same way. I've endeavored to show people equal concern and care. But I've had individuals in the church over the last 50 some years try to buy me off, try to extend special things to us so I would cave to their wishes and their desires. But when they find out that I'm not for sale, and they can't manipulate me, they usually disappear into the woodwork. But you know something? I can go asleep at night with a clear conscience. I'm not beholding to anyone other than the one who loved me and gave himself for me. What's the point of all this? The point I'm trying to make is simply this. That where love flows, acceptance grows. The more deeply we love Jesus, the greater will be our desire.
to be accepting of each other regardless whether we're weak or strong. And when we live this way, there is someone up in heaven, the one who has accepted us, And the Lord Jesus Christ and the angels of heaven are up there cheering us on. They're actually clapping as they see us no longer passing judgment on others. They are actually celebrating, as Max Lucado says in his book, the applause of heaven, because they are seeing the body of Christ. Let's start clapping. They are seeing the body of Christ loving Jesus and loving him supremely and no longer passing judgment on each other. Let me tell you, it changes, changes everything. And again, as I've said before, and I say it to myself, all too often we forget that Jesus is praying for us and we forget that God watches over everything that we say. You know, there's an interesting passage just comes to my mind right now, but the passage is, you know, every idle word that we speak, one day we'll have to give an account. And that's why we need to pray that prayer of the psalmist. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. You are so good to us. You have accepted us in the beloved. You've accepted us with our warts and all. And you've made things very clear in your word that as we fall more deeply in love with you, we stop passing judgment on others. And we no longer play favorites. And we seek to lift and to build and to encourage and to just lift up to you every day, everyone that crosses our paths. Lord, help us to be an accepting place where people are falling more and more in love with you. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.